After an elementary school teacher had given a lesson on magnets, she gave them a quiz to see how much they had learned. And one of the questions on the quiz read, My name starts with M, has six letters, and I pick up things. What am I? Half the class answered not with the word magnet, but the word mother. If mothers and fathers didn't pick up things now and then, can you imagine how our homes would look? It would be like, I imagine anyway, sort of like walking through a corn maze. Have you ever gone through one of those? You've got these 10-foot-high walls of corn on either side, and I think that's what would happen in our house if we didn't pass along toys and high chairs and strollers and mounds of clothes and shoes. Every few months or so, it pays to do some pruning in our homes so it never gets to the stage of the corn maze. Well, this month, we're looking at a few images of Jesus that the Bible offers to us to help us know him better and help us know God better. Alert readers will notice that I changed the sermon title from one that had been published earlier. On an earlier and quicker reading of this text, I had called it Jesus Horticulturist. That's classy, isn't it? Well, it's also false. <laughs> because as I, um, as I read more deeply into this metaphor that Jesus gives us, it's not Jesus who is the, the vine grower, the horticulturist. It's God. Jesus is the vine. That should have been obvious, but I'm a little slow sometimes, and I appreciate your forgiveness for that fact. Jesus is the vine that God has created and grown for us, on which we build our lives and our strength and our hope And there may be lots of vines around there on which we can build strength and hope and our lives, but the true vine is Jesus. That word for true could also be translated real, the real vine, or the authentic vine. And I really like that word authentic. We are the branches who will explore what it means to abide in the authentic vine vine called Jesus Christ. The poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge was once involved in a discussion with a man who firmly believed that children should be given no formal religious instruction of any kind. He said they would then be free to choose their own religious faith when they reached the age of discretion, whatever that might have been. And Coleridge did not disagree at the time, but he later invited this man into his somewhat neglected garden. And his visitor said, you call this a garden? There are nothing here but weeds. And Coleridge explained, well, I didn't want to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and choose its own production. Well, like gardens and children need consistent care and attention, so do our important relationships, like our relationship with God through Christ.
Jesus' image of the vine visualizes for us our dependence on and our connection to him that make our lives and others' lives more meaningful and more fulfilling. Some of you may know in southwest Roanoke County, Chestnut Mountain. If you go up Chestnut Mountain Road toward the top, not only will you find the place where my husband proposed to me, but now you will find a winery, Valhalla Vineyards. You can look across the hillside and then you can see the trunks of the grapevines growing straight up or barely straight up from the grounds. And then they have the branches stretching out along the wires that have been placed there for them to grow on. Well, the vines are pruned regularly, so they bear the best, sweetest grapes. But more importantly, and more obviously for us today, the branches must remain attached to the vine to bear any fruit at all. Now, that's one of these phrases that, you know, we could just say, duh. (laughs) The branches need to remain connected to the vine. Without that connection to receive the nutrients necessary for life and for bearing good fruit, the pipeline is shut off the pipeline of nutrients, and the branch withers and then dies. Well, we translate this image to ourselves that every now and then we need a good pruning. We need to cut off the dead stuff, and sometimes we actually need to cut off the good stuff to make ourselves bear better fruit. Recently, I talked with one of my silliest seminary classmates. He's been a husband and a pastor for well over a decade. His two daughters are four and eight years old, and now he playfully says he's thinking it's about time for him to grow up. As we mature, and this is what my friend is seeing, there are parts of ourselves that need to die. For us to be healthy adults, care for others, and concern for others, and sacrifice for others, these need to overtake the selfish focus of our early days. God, as the vine grower, helps us with this. Francis Schaeffer told about how, in order to control the church, Adolf Hitler commanded the union of all religious groups in Germany. He drew them together by law. The Brethren Church divided over this issue. Half accepted Hitler's dictum and half refused. The ones who submitted had a much easier time. But gradually in this organizational oneness with the the liberal groups, their own doctrinal sharpness and their own spiritual life withered. On the other hand, the group that stayed out remained spiritually vital, but there was hardly a family in which one member did not die in a German concentration camp. So maybe we can imagine the emotional tension after the war is over and these Christian brothers face each other again. 
They had the same doctrine. They had worked together for more than a generation. Now, what's going to happen? One man remembers that his father died in a concentration camp and knows that these people on the other side had remained safe. People on that other side, though, had deep personal feelings as well. Well, gradually, these brothers came to know that this situation would not work. And so a time was appointed when the elders of the two groups could meet together in a certain quiet place. Schaefer says he asked the man who was telling him the story, what did you do? And he said, we came together and we set aside several days in which each man would search his own heart. Here was a real difference, Schaefer says. The emotions were deeply, deeply stirred. One who says, my father has gone to the concentration camp. My mother was dragged away. These things are not just little pebbles on the beach. They reach into the deep wellsprings of human emotion. But these people understood the command of Christ at this place. And so again, for several days, each man did nothing except search his own heart concerning his own failures and the commands of Christ that he understood. And only after that did they meet together. And when Schaefer asked the man, what happened then? The man replied, we just were one. We just were one. When each person allowed himself to be pruned, he recognized his own failures and the power of forgiveness that God's love had given to them. And only then could that healing begin, that reconciliation came. Lots of questions come to mind from these passages, especially the one about Jesus as the vine. For one, why would we want to abide in Jesus? What makes Jesus authentic? What does Jesus have to offer that I can't get somewhere else? Are there other paths to God? These are valid questions of faith, ones that we should ask but I'm not going to try to answer them right here and now. I think they're better dealt with in small groups or one-on-one, and if some of these are your questions, I and others here would be happy to wrestle through them with you. For the next few moments, let's just assume that Jesus is the authentic vine. We admit that we seek nourishment from all kinds of other things, Television and books and sex and sports and food and friends. And yet we find again and again that while these these things nourish us and they energize our spirits, that they don't completely fulfill us. That That from which we receive the most powerful nutrients for our spirits is Jesus, the vine, firmly planted in the soil of God's love. 
One of the powerful messages from that passage from 1 John that Jack read is that God has given Jesus as a gift to us. Verse 9 of that chapter 4 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You see that connection with the vine metaphor? We live through love. Like God's legacy is God's legacy to us is found in the love of Jesus Christ. Our legacies are to be found when we share that love with others. There's a somewhat heart-rending but holy story in this week's um, journal called Christian Century. Craig Barnes, a pastor, had gone to visit one of his parishioners in an assisted living facility. The pastor remembered the days when he would go visit Jack at his home with the rusty mailbox and the newspaper on the porch and the yellow dog sunning in the yard. In Jack's current home, though, the hallways try to look like a hotel with hunter green carpet and floral arrangements in various places and uh, framed prints of the seashore on the wall, perhaps to remind you of a place you'd rather be. And yet all these things were in the hallway. Once you got beyond the mahogany veneered doors, it was a fairly sterile room. A few of the furnishings had been rescued from Jack's home, but the hospital bed and the oxygen tube reminded one that this was not a preferred home. The pastor's simple simple prayers initiated tears in Jack, and he allowed silence for Jack to form his thoughts following that. Finally, Jack said, This is so old. And Barnes said, yes, Jack, I see that. And Jack went on, you lose your life in pieces. And then one day you find yourself here and you have a lot of time to wonder, where did it all go? In the article, the pastor went on to talk about this holy ground of the questions of life's meanings and about laying onto the altar the pieces of our lives. It spoke to me about remembering to try to abide in the vine so that at least some of those pieces that do get pruned away will have borne good fruit. Charlotte Mortimer was a student in an adult education creative writing class when the teacher told the class to write I love you in 25 words or less without using the phrase I love you. And she gave the class 15 minutes. She noticed, Charlotte Mortimer noticed that there was one woman in the class who spent about 10 minutes looking at the ceiling and just wriggling in her seat. And then with just a few minutes left, she frantically started writing. And then she later read the results. Three sentences. Why, I've seen lots worse hairdos than that, honey. These cookies are hardly burned at all. 
Cuddle up. I'll get your feet warm. The good fruit we branches bear is simply saying I love you without necessarily using those words. We say I love you when we listen to each other, when we are present with each other without words, when we share a cookie in the dining room, when we offer a sincere compliment. This fruit that we bear is not to make ourselves look more impressive. It's not even to make our mothers look good, though they desperately wish we would. One of the four purposes of Mother's Day when it was established 101 years ago is to honor our mothers. But I think we do that even better when we honor God. And we probably make our mothers happier in the process. The good fruit we bear is not really for any other person except for God. It's to direct others to know and be thankful for the God who created this cruel, crazy, beautiful universe, which continues to expand just like God's love when we share it with others. Abide in the vine. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. We love because God first loved us. Let's pray. We thank you, O God, again and again and again for your love and all that that makes possible in our lives. Teach us, then, to glorify you as we bear good fruit through our friend and our vine and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.